Well, today we're going to continue our, our, our series in the book, of, book five of the Psalms, um, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 112. So if you could turn to page 614 in the Bibles in front of you, we'll be looking at Psalm 112. Now, this psalm is a psalm about true happiness. I wonder whether, whether you've ever thought about what true happiness is or where you might find it. We've got adverts every day, don't we, flying at us, trying to tell us that we need this or we need that in order to be happy. And many people, whether they realise it or not, are looking for happiness. They're looking for fulfilment. Some people look for it in, in popularity. Uh, I don't know how much of this you're, you're aware of, um, but popularity is often measured now by the number of Facebook friends um, or the Facebook fans that you have. I think Michael Jackson has the highest number of Facebook fans at about 14 million. I think when it comes to having those Facebook friends, it's, uh, the world record is 6,223. And it's, it's very impressive, isn't it? A man who can have meaningful friendships with 6,223 people. I don't know how he does it. Um, other people try to find happiness in romantic relationships or in career success or in all sorts of other things. Um, Some people simply despair of ever finding happiness. Well, this psalm offers its own thoughts on where happiness is to be found. Uh, So before we look at it, uh, let's pray. Father God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Help us now to understand and to respond in a way that honours you. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, so let's read Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked man will see and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. This is God's word. Well, do please keep that passage um, open in front of you as we go. Well, you'll have noticed that this particular translation doesn't explicitly use the word happiness, does it? But it does talk about the man who is blessed. The man who is happy in the ultimate sense. The man who has everything that's really worth having. And we're going to look at three questions that this psalm answers concerning this blessed man. First, what are his primary characteristics? Secondly, what do his blessings look like? And then third, what's the alternative? So first, what are his primary characteristics? Well, look there at verse one. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. So there are two primary characteristics. First, he fears the Lord. Second, He finds great delight in the Lord's commands. Now, both of these can sound strange to modern ears, can't they? And Christians sometimes feel a bit confused by the concept of fearing the Lord. After all, Jesus taught his followers to approach God confidently, to speak to him intimately, to call God Father. But we must never forget that he is, first of all, God. 
One time I was going for a walk in Essex and I took a wrong path and I ended up walking past one of those massive, the the very biggest ones, the 400,000 volt electricity power stations or generators. And uh, just for a point of reference, the, the sockets that we use, in, 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 that you use on the walls there are 230 volts. So this is a thousand times more powerful, the shock you'd get if, that, if you were charged up to that voltage. And as I walked past, I don't know if you've ever done it, but the air was buzzing. And my, the, my skin was tingling. And my heart was trembling. You see, those generators do great things for us, don't they? We're, we're benefiting from them now. But it could have struck me dead in an instant. There was immense power there, and I feared that power, rightly. And the sun, S-U-N, would be an even better example. The sun holds the power of life and the power of death for the whole earth. What about God? Well, God is the powerhouse behind the whole universe. He spoke it into being, he sustains it now, and he can bring it to an end in a word whenever he likes. And Christians must never forget that. It's always absolutely right to fear God and to tremble in his presence. The comfort comes, but it only comes when we know that God is on our side. And this blessed man does. How do we know that? Well, because verse 1 doesn't use the general Hebrew word for God, Elohim, but rather it uses his covenant name, Yahweh, which is the Lord in capitals in these translations. And that name means that this man is living by the promises that Yahweh has made to his people. And the New Testament extension of this is that the man who calls God Father is living by the promises that God makes to his children, an even tighter relation. So the blessed man fears the Lord and he rejoices that this awesome, powerful God is on his side. Now we're saying man because it supremely applies to to the man, Jesus. But then of course it extends to all people, men, women and children when they follow him. But the blessed man fears the Lord. Second primary primary characteristic is his delight in God's commands. And perhaps that one sounds even stranger to 21st century ears. Um, many people today don't they believe that imposed commands are the enemy of freedom people hate being told what to do they hate being told how to live their lives some people even pride themselves on rejecting authority have you ever heard someone say nobody tells me what to do it's that kind of attitude Um, so the idea that you might delight in commands is strange to many secular people But according to this psalm, the blessed man finds great delight in God's commands. Why? Well, because he knows they're good. And we see this attitude again supremely in the ultimate blessed man, Jesus. How do we see it? Well, here are three ways. First, Jesus obeyed everything God ever told him to do. He became obedient, even to death, on a Roman cross. Second, Jesus thought God's commands were so good that he maximized their application in his teaching. So if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see Jesus taking the moral demands of the Old Testament law and applying them more fully and more comprehensively than anyone had ever done before. Third, Jesus said that God's commands teach us how to love. Jesus summarized the Old Testament law by saying, this is what it means to love God with all you are and what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. He said the whole law hangs on those two things. 
That's what it's all about. It's good. It's wonderful. It teaches us how to love God rightly and how to love others rightly. So the blessed man, Jesus, feared the Lord and found great delight in his commands. And if you and I are going to be blessed in the Jesus way, then we need to do the same. So at this point, let's pause to examine our hearts and ask ourselves some questions. Do I have a healthy fear of the Lord? Or have I maybe become a bit blasé in my relationship with God? When did I last tremble at the thought that I call the God of the universe and the God of the future my father? How often do I read the passages of scripture that would nourish a healthy fear? And do I delight in his commands? Have I ever even thought like that? How often do I think deeply about the moral commands of scripture and try to maximize their application to myself as Jesus did? Well, I think these are helpful challenges and they arise naturally from the psalm. So according to this psalm, fear of the Lord and great delight in his commands are two key marks of authentic Christianity. But they also result in blessing. So we're on to our second question. What do the blessings look like? What do the blessings look like? Well, this is unpacked in verses 2 to 9. Uh, now, word of warning, it's, we must stress that we must understand these blessings through New Testament lenses. We've got to let the New Testament steer our interpretation. And we've got time to look at four of these blessings. Now, the first blessing is a positive impact on the next generation. A positive impact on the next generation. Look at verse 2. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. It's interesting, isn't it, that the first blessing is not about him directly, but about how he impacts the generation that follows him. And children here, well, children takes on a broader meaning in the New Testament. It doesn't exclude natural, natural children, but the concept of spiritual children emerges, and it's a really strong one. So I don't know if you've read the letters of the apostles Paul and John, you'll see that they address the churches that they founded and planted as my dear children, very often. And the supreme example of blessing the next generation is Jesus. In the generation that followed Jesus, his good news spread like wildfire through the nations. And that fire never stopped. If you're not familiar with the staggering impact that Jesus has had on world history, can I encourage you to read a book? It's, it's by John Ortberg. It's called Who Is This Man? And actually, if you don't like reading, it's on the bookshop. But if, if you'd prefer to listen to a talk, you can go on the Holy Trinity Brompton podcast and download the talk. Who Is This Man? by John Ortberg. talks about the impact that Jesus has had on world history. But it, when I heard it, it just blew my mind. One, one of my friends listened to it, and she said at the end of it, she was listening to it on her own, but she said at the end, I just had to stand up and give Jesus a standing ovation. She was so inspired by this amazing impact that Jesus had had on world history. And this blessing, this positive impact on the next generation is true in a derivative way of all Christians who faithfully invest in the next generation. It's often Christian leaders who prioritize the next generation who have the most enduring impact. Christian parents can have an enormous impact. If you're a Christian parent, please don't underestimate the long-term effects of bringing up your children in a Christian home. I know that sometimes the short-term effects are not very inspiring or encouraging, but very often the long-term ones are. There are so many people who, around about my age, suddenly say, do you know what, I'm so glad my parents brought me up in a Christian home. It was, you know, even if they wandered for years... It's such a blessing. 
And of course this applies to our devoted children's leaders who are out there now, to the youth team, to anyone involved in mentoring younger Christians, to any vicar who takes time to train his assistant ministers, like Paul does with us. It's all investing in the strength and the blessing of the next generation. Second blessing concerns his wealth. Look at verse 3. Wealth and riches are in his house. Now, uh, sorry to disappoint you, but this does not mean that you're either rich already or next time you buy a lottery ticket, you're going to win. In fact, the New Testament, and especially Jesus, speaks far more about the dangers of wealth than its blessings. Just go and do the word searches. Well, without getting bogged down, down in this at this point, here are two observations. First, look, at, look again at verse 3, and notice that the second half of the verse, which in Hebrew poetry often clarifies the first half, says, and his righteousness endures forever. See, the New Testament is very positive about spiritual riches, like an enduring righteousness, an enduring right standing before God. And so this verse is actually very New Testament, saying that real wealth is to have an enduring righteousness. Second observation, notice that while one verse in the psalm talks about the wealth that he has, two verses talk about the wealth that he gives away. Verse 5, he is generous and lends freely. Verse 9, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. And I think the logic is that if we know that our real treasure is safe with God, then it releases us in generosity with our perishable treasures, with the riches that we can't hang on to. Um, although uh, we do sometimes need someone less well-off than us uh, to provoke us to action. I spent, um, I spent two years working in Thailand in a remote refugee school. Um, and uh, one of the most exciting things for the, for the team there was once a week we would drive to a town that was about half, a, half an hour's drive away and we'd pick up our post. Um, now, it was very lovely to, uh, to, get, um, to get letters and things, as I did from my, the, the lady who's now my darling, darling wife. But one of the really exciting things was actually when chocolate arrived. That was one of the things we really looked forward to every week. And, and, and what happened was we, we each had a little stash in our own rooms and, and we guarded it like treasure. We really did. Um, and in fact, over time, um, there was a little bit of resentment that got among us because what, what one person in particular got a lot more chocolate um, than, than, than the rest of us. And so this was all going on. But one day, um, one of my students, 14-year-old girl, she was a refugee. I mean, we, we didn't have much out there, but they had so much less than us. And, and she, she had this little ice pop that in, in British money would be worth about 10p. And she was walking over, and as soon as she saw me, she immediately offered me some. And I can't tell you at the, that moment how ashamed I felt. There were we, hoarding all our treasure, our chocolate. And there was her with so much less instinctively sharing as soon as she saw me. Um, well, after that, I was really challenged and I started to follow her example. I did start to be more generous with my chocolate. And it's liberating. There is a wonderful freedom that you experience when you're generous. And this little lady, her name was Brigady, helped me to discover that. Well, again, this, all this first applies to Jesus. Jesus was supremely wealthy and supremely generous. But wonderfully, he can make it true of us. He makes the poor in spirit rich. He makes the unrighteous righteous. He makes the ungenerous generous. Third blessing, 
And this comes in how he is remembered. Look down at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. Well, today is Remembrance Sunday, isn't it? And so today we rightly remember those who gave their lives in wartime to secure the peace that we enjoy today. In fact, we've got to admit, don't we, that that my generation is so ignorant of history and we get so complacent, we assume that the privileges that we enjoy today have just always been there, but they haven't. And so it's absolutely right for us to, to keep remembering, to keep giving thanks for what we benefit, to how we benefit from other people's labors and sacrifices. But this, this psalm talks about a greater kind of remembrance. It says a righteous man will be remembered forever. And again, this is supremely true of Jesus, but he can make it true of us again. Remember, as Jesus was dying, a criminal on the cross beside him said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And do you remember how Jesus replied? I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. And this is much more than just being a memory, isn't it? According to those verses, to be remembered by Jesus means to be with him in paradise, to live with him forever. So through New Testament lenses, this verse is talking about eternal life. So that's the third blessing. Fourth blessing, he's blessed as he faces the future. Look at verse seven. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And then verse eight re-emphasizes it. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. See, it's not that the blessed man has no bad news, but he has no fear of bad news. Why? Well, I think that's for two reasons. First, because his eternal future is safe. And second, because verse seven, he trusts the Lord. He trusts the Lord who has a track record of bringing good out of bad or evil circumstances. You see it in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. You see it in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Supremely, you see it in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Well, let's apply this. Friends, as you face the future, is there some bad news that you're afraid might come your way? Are you afraid that you might not get that university place that you've set your heart on? Are you afraid that redundancy might be around the corner? Are you afraid of how your family or your friends will react to you becoming a Christian? Are you afraid that because you're a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction, you'll never experience a deep relationship? Are you afraid that you'll never get married? Or that your marriage is beyond repair? Are you afraid for your children? That your children will never get back on the rails? Or that you might never be able to have children? Are you afraid what that doctor's appointment might reveal? Are you afraid that your best days are behind you? Are you afraid that you might become useless when you retire? Are you afraid that you've made such a mess of your life that you'll never do anything worthwhile? Well, some of those things may be your fears. Some of them are my fears. But friends, the Bible has good news and powerful resources to address these fears. Sometimes the church has been very slow to realize what they are. But they're there. The Lord is good news in all circumstances. 
And perhaps if you're a home group, you might like to discuss some of those things I've just mentioned further. But it says, the blessed man has no fear of bad news. The greatest fears that humans can face, fear that life has no meaning, fear of death, fear of wrath, fear of ultimate rejection, are dealt with by Jesus when you become a Christian. So there's ultimate good news. The father of one of my friends became a Christian near the end of his life. And as he was dying, he said to my friend, I know where I'm going, but I don't deserve it. That's the hope, the confidence that Jesus gives in the face of death. Another example. Um, recently, I, I met up with a, with a dear friend who's really been through a storm in this last year. Um, he's a, it's a Christian family. Um, and they've got two boys, and they were expecting a third. But that little boy died late in the pregnancy. And it was an intensely painful time for them. But they're a Christian family. And, and when, when my friend Andy asked his oldest boy, Luke, who's five, he said, Luke, are you sad because your brother died? And Luke thought, and he said, no, because I'll see him in heaven. That was how Luke, at the age of five, expressed his Christian faith, his hope. And what really gets me is that they named the child Tobias, which is from a Hebrew name, Tovia, which means the Lord is good. So they've inscribed it on their memory, on their family history, that even in that situation, the Lord is good. That's how trusting the Lord and living by his word and his promises gave that whole family comfort in such a dark and painful time. It didn't take away the pain, but it made their hearts steadfast, secure, anchored, even when bad news came. And that's one of the stranger but very real blessings that comes to those who fear the Lord and take great delight in his commands. Well, we've looked at the primary characteristics. Uh, We've looked at four of the blessings that follow. Um, But we must also look at the alternative. because verse 10 tells us about the alternative. We can't skip over this. Look at the last verse. It says, The wicked man will see and be vexed. He'll gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. It's tough stuff. Who is this talking about? Well, presumably, it's talking about the man or the woman who is not verse 1, who does not fear the Lord, and who does not find great delight in his commands. You see, the future belongs to the Lord. And there is no place in that future for anyone who refuses to fear him and obey him and trust him, as this psalm talks about. There will be no, there will be no enduring positive impact on the next generations. There will be no enduring wealth. There is no good and comforting future waiting for him. And he will not be remembered beyond that great day. C.S. Lewis once put it this way. He said, Although these things may be dark to our intellect and unendurable to the feelings, it is nevertheless possible to be banished from the presence of him who is present everywhere and erased from the knowledge of him who knows all. See, the thing is, the New Testament upholds the teaching of verse 10, hard as it is to hear. Jesus frequently spoke of two destinies, 
And he actually used very often a phrase that we find in this verse. He talked about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth to describe one of those destinies. Well, that's what the verse says. But what's its purpose? Well, I think there are three purposes. First, it brings comfort to the oppressed Christian. Comfort that evil and evil people will not ultimately triumph. Instead, they'll be vexed by how the future unfolds and they'll waste away. So this brings comfort in the same way that those fearsome passages in the book of Revelation do to the persecuted church throughout the world. And often it's in other countries where they're really feeling the, feeling the fire. But it also comforts Christians in this country who are suffering, maybe relentless mockery or bullying, bullying or rejection or violence because of their faith, whether that's, that's in a verbal form or a physical form or an online form. But second, this verse is also a warning to those who don't fear, obey or trust the Lord. A warning that their freedom will not last forever and that their plans and hopes will ultimately come to nothing. If you were here last, um, last Sunday evening, um, I don't know if you heard this in the, in the, D, in the Ben Freeth DVD, but there were those haunting words, I think about 10 years ago, from Robert Mugabe. Zimbabwe is mine. Well, in the end, he'll find that it's not. And anyone who behaves like that, anyone who says, my life is my own, this is mine, this is mine, we'll find that it's not. We can't hold on to these things. And by the way, there's no sense of superiority here for Christians. Because the New Testament says that this is all, for all of us, this is our natural disposition. But then thirdly, this, is, this verse is a motivation for those people who have, who have not feared their, the Lord and trusted him so far in their lives to waste no more time in responding to the good news that Jesus offers. There is still good news available. And it's this, that because of what Jesus did in his death and resurrection, that it is possible in the space of one prayer to escape the future described in verse 10 and to receive as the gift of God the future described in verses 2 to 9. And if you know that's you, if you know that if you're honest with yourself, you haven't yet taken hold of the good news that Jesus offers, can I invite you to come to the front uh, at the end of the service and we can help you to pray that prayer. But I would say don't waste any more time because just look at those verses. The stakes are far too high. But as we close, what has this psalm taught us? What is it about? Fundamentally, it's about true happiness about where we find it, about the offer of true happiness. In fact, it doesn't just tell us about true happiness. It celebrates it. It's a song. But we found that true happiness is not found where our culture thinks it is, in having the freedom to do whatever we want as far as we can. Some people here will already know that that way of life promises much but doesn't deliver. No, true happiness comes from fearing the Lord and finding great delight in his life-giving commands. And the more we realize how good the Lord is, the more we will delight in his commands and the more we will experience these blessings. Some of the blessings require action from us if we're going to experience them, like generosity. 
Some slowly dawn on us as we develop a more biblical worldview. Some require patience, prayerfulness, perseverance, love. They often seem counterintuitive. And they sometimes feel strange, especially at first. But Jesus and those who have followed him throughout history have found them to be very real. Blessed was the man who feared the Lord and found great delight in his commands. And blessed are all who follow him. Amen.